everyone. Thanks for joining this episode of Pulling the Strings podcast, powered by Puppet. I'm delighted to be your host. My name is Demetrius Malbro, and I'm on the product marketing team here at Puppet. And I'm really excited today to talk with Martez Reed. And Martez is a principal field solutions developer here at Puppet, focused on the creation of technical education content. Martez, how are you today? I'm doing excellent. How about yourself, Demetrius? I am fantastic, and welcome to Pulling the Strings and hoping that we can shed some light on Hydra. And first and foremost, um, why don't you tell us exactly what Hydra is and what is it used for? Yeah, absolutely. So Hydra is actually the internal self-service platform uh, that we use here at Puppet for the provisioning of our classroom environments in AWS, as well as for the demonstration environments that our sales engineers use uh, as part of the, the sales process. Okay, so it is used heavily uh, internally, I guess from a classroom perspective, knowledge management, etc. And I guess it's as simple as what downloading an OVA and just kind of following through on the actual steps around configuring it. Is it that easy and simple? It's actually even easier. So the actual integration that we've built is a, a Slack integration to where you can request your particular environment via a, a Slack web interface, uh, which is actually pretty interesting for the, the use case that we have to enable sort of that, that chat ops capability. So give me like one example of a, a Slack command or something that, that I would type into the Slack channel to get Hydra to respond and do or create something on. Yeah, so an example would be like create and then the, the particular name of your environment with uh, X number of machines for X number of days. And then after that, it, it goes out and creates the environment. And then in 20 to 30 minutes, you'll have a, a brand shiny environment that is ready to go for sales demonstrations or for a, a classroom environment. Okay, so this is not just an internal thing to Puppet. So it's public facing and I guess anyone can go out and download it. Is that correct? So what it actually is right now, it is closed source um, internal to Puppet. And so it's a, a number of integrations with sort of cloud native products and capabilities. Uh, so we're actually leveraging uh, HashiCorp Terraform for the provisioning of the infrastructure for the environments themselves. And then we're leveraging S3 for Terraform state management, the actual storage of the state. We're leveraging containers for the actual services that integrate with Slack and actually perform the, the process there. And then on the sort of the pipeline piece, we're using GitHub Actions to actually carry out the operations in sort of a, a GitOps methodology. So what are some things that may be similar if... I guess some of our listeners may not have heard of Hydra and, and how we're using it. Can you give us maybe an example of something that's similar out in the wild that people are more familiar with? Yeah, so it's actually quite similar to um, a lot of the, the CMPs or cloud management platforms. Obviously, this one is very much scaled down and very specific to our use case. But the, the goal is to be a sort of a self-service mechanism that provides exactly what you need for a business use case. In this particular case, the business use case is a classroom environment or a uh, sales demonstration environment. And so that is, is very tailored to that specific use case. And so there's a lot of integrations as it relates to the automation of what's going on to actually stand up that particular environment. Okay, so how long has this been around? And 
I guess, is it kind of old technology or, you know, it's being updated and you're working on maybe like a newer version of it? Yeah. So it's actually been around for a number of years now. And so it's gone through various different iterations. And so where kind of the, the idea actually started from was for the classroom environment. Previously, what was required for the, the classrooms to be actually delivered was that students would have to download an OVA prior to actually coming to class, and they would leverage that. That would run their, their Puppet Enterprise Master and be what they would use for the classroom environment. And so for those that have dealt with OVAs and, and even downloading very large files, they understand some of the, the issues that come along there of mm-hmm. bandwidth and and just needing to have a machine beefy enough to run a, a decent-sized virtual machine as part of the process. And so the, the thought precipitated, we should be able to leverage the public cloud with its scalability and elasticity to actually stand up environments that can basically be stood up on-demand notice and then be torn down as necessary and only incur that cost at that moment in time. And so that was really what precipitated it. And so we, we've gone through a couple of sort of iterations or, or minor versions. And most recently, we've actually been working and actually have released internally the, the second iteration or second version of the platform, which is Hydra 2. And it includes the, the self-service uh, Slack interface utilizing the, the Slack forms to be able to request environments via the drop downs and provide different customizations and capabilities within a user interface, which is really a great feature because the first version of Hydra was actually leveraging the command line commands. And so there's that that regex that comes along with that. And for those that are familiar with regex, uh, on the back end side, it can be pretty tedious and hairy trying to figure out the, the exact way to capture the command. And for the user, it's not a very good experience because I have to know exactly what the command is supposed to be and type it exactly as create environment name with number of machines for X number of days. And it has to be in that exact format. And so that's the the challenge and kind of the beauty of the, the second Hydra uh, platform. That sounds very interesting. And you, you'll be proud of me that, that I've done maybe just a, a tad bit of research here and stumbled across um, HashiCorp's Nomad. Um, so just a little bit about microservices and how architecture plays a role in, I guess, the way Hydra is set up and also the hot thing right now, which is Kubernetes. Can you maybe get into a little bit around, you know, what's Nomad and, you know, why is it worthy of going up against, um, let's say, Kubernetes? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with the, the architecture of Hydra. And so the underlying platform that that does the interaction with Slack and interacts with our, our GitHub environment and uh, handles the updating of information is, is based on a, a loose microservices architecture um, in the sense that we've sort of broken out the various pieces and functions of the architecture into their own containers. And as part of this process, it was needing to, to handle orchestration because the goal was to be able to, to provide some resiliency for the platform. So where like if the, the single EC2 instance running the platform, if it falls over, um, then the service is completely dead. So obviously we wanted to provide some sort of resiliency. And right. so at that point, we needed to be able to orchestrate containers across multiple nodes. And so in this case, it was looking at, okay, what are our options? Obviously, Kubernetes is the, the hot thing that everybody knows and is clamoring for, but it was the case of, does Kubernetes in particular meet our business case, which is a fairly small group that is managing the, the Hydra platform itself. And we're actually just running maybe four or five microservices um, in and of themselves. 
And so some of the services are actually just batch jobs. And so it was, is Kubernetes the, the right choice for orchestration or is it maybe a little bit too heavy for our needs? And so the, the kind of the thought became was, if Kubernetes isn't it, what are our other options? And so that's right. where, where HashiCorp Nomad came up. Um, prior to coming to Puppet, I had worked for a, a consulting company. And so I was, I was fairly familiar with HashiCorp Nomad, kind of what it did. But for me, it was always, where's the use case of where I would use HashiCorp Nomad versus Kubernetes? Yeah. And, and during that time, I, I never really found it. And so as I was going through this process, kind of the, the light bulb came on of HashiCorp Nomad in this particular case is really valuable because it, it reduces that sort of entry level complexity of I'm not needing to, to dig deep on persistent volume claims and, and all the, these other Kubernetes particular constructs. It's really just I, I need to run a couple of containers and I want them to be resilient. I don't really want to dig deep into to pods and, and understanding all that, that nomenclature. It's just, I need to run some workloads and I, I need to do the thing that accomplishes the business goal. So that's where HashiCorp Nomad came into play of being really simple to get started with, as well as being easy to use for our use case, which is a smaller use case. Obviously, there's a, a case where those that are running thousands of microservices, Kubernetes may be the, the, the ideal choice for them especially given the ecosystem, but HashiCorp Nomad was the, the ideal solution for us. And so as part of that process, we also looked at the other options of sort of Kubernetes, one of them being EKS, since the Hydra platform is running on AWS. And so it was, does this fit the, the use case? One of the reasons we didn't go with that was just the cost of EKS and some of the complexity that came along with that of how do things talk to one another and some of the, the implementation pieces there. We also looked at AWS's ECS, which yep. is their Elastic Container Service. And so it was, yeah, I don't want to go full-blown Kubernetes. I want to, I just want to be able to run containers. And mm -hmm. so uh, similar, it was, there's a lot of moving pieces there and, and needing to wrap my head around uh, some of the complexity was just, just not what we wanted to, to venture down. And so we ultimately settled on HashiCorp Nomad as the, the underlying platform that pins it. And so in my opinion, it was a great choice vibrant ecosystem going on with HashiCorp Nomad, as well as a, a company that pretty much everyone in the sort of the DevOps space knows and loves the tools that they've created, you know, such as the, the Terraforms, the HashiCorp Vault, the, the Packer, the Vagrant, um, to, mm -hmm. to provide those sort of DevOps capabilities. Wow, that, that, that was a lot. Um, you, you're a little bit over my head there. I um, only did some like really light reading on that, but I appreciate you breaking that down for me, Martez. What are, I guess, some of the cool things that, you know, you've done with Hydra, uh, maybe around what you're doing now with it, but I'm, I'm really trying to get to like something that someone would say, wow, I think that's really, really, really cool besides what you've already mentioned. Is there anything else you, you can think about that um, may be worth mentioning or something you remember now that's really cool that you've done with Hydra or you think the future of Hydra could be? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, the really interesting things that I kind of touched on was the was actually the, the Slack interface. I mean, I, I know those that have used Slack have kind of seen some of the, the ways that, that Slack can be accessed and the, the commands and different things. But it was actually really interesting from a, a development perspective to, to actually create the form um, that a user would see when requesting an environment to be able to provide easy to use buttons of like open up the, the Hydra app and... Mm -hmm. I want to create an environment and then if you present it with a number of options, 
similar to what you would expect in a, like a cloud management platform, um, like a service now of, I want to request this item and then be able to, to dig deeper on, okay, I want this item and then be able to be presented with an actual form that guides you along the process of like environment name and number of machines in the environment and have mm -hmm. that be specific to each individual environment. Because what we were seeing from like a usability perspective was oftentimes we would get the, the question of somebody would ping us via Slack and be like, oh, hey, what? why isn't this command working? Or what's the command to, to do the thing that I need, yeah. like a, destroy an environment? And so, of course, from like a usability perspective, that's pretty poor usability if a large number of users need to request information about how to use what you provided. And so at that point, it doesn't really feel so much like self-service as like mm -hmm. assisted service. And so I, I think the, the actually being able to leverage the, the Slack user interface in the form has truly made it self-service in the sense that I may have never used Hydra before. Um, let's say somebody new to the company and you tell them, oh, hey, you should use Hydra to, to stand up an environment to test the, the integration of, of whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And you just tell them, oh, hey, slash Hydra. And then at that point, hopefully it's self-guided enough to where they can use the, the platform and stand up their own environment and not have to understand what the particular syntax is of the, the creation command or a deletion command. Okay. Yeah, that, that sounds cool enough for me. Um, I, I wanted to switch gears. And while I have you on the podcast, I want to definitely tap into some current events and right now. You know, it's no uh, secret that, you know, we're in the midst of, of COVID-19 right now in the pandemic, and a lot of people are out of work and people are staying unemployed a lot longer as well. Um, I also saw a job report uh, that showed that I think there is about 4.6 million people out of work and still looking. So that number is definitely continuing to grow. So what type of skills do you think that, uh, let's say, you know, DevOps uh, engineers and DevSecOps or anyone in this space, what are some of the things that you think that they should be, you know, learning or looking at right now that's going to keep them relevant or maybe take them to the next level? Yeah, I mean, it's actually interesting you bring that up. I actually just had a, a friend reach out the other day um, about what he could do as far as um, learning a cloud, cloud certifications, things like that. Okay. So that's, that's kind of one of the key things I would say is, is learn a cloud in mm -hmm. the case of a public cloud. So like AWS, Azure, GCP, get familiar with how to use that. And sort of the next iteration would be how to automate that. In the case of maybe the, one of the first things you did was stand up a VPC in AWS. And so how can I, how can I automate that process? Whether it's the, the command line via like AWS, CLI, Python, Terraform, whatever it might be, learn how to automate that and then walk through the process of really understanding. I know for me, having an operations background, the more I started to understand about application architecture, I think was really invaluable for understanding kind of a lot of the, the DevOps sort of methodologies and constructs and understanding where that friction really comes in. Because traditionally I was a, a sysadmin, hadn't really worked in like true development shops. And so I didn't really experience a lot of that pain because it was third-party applications, commercial off-the-shelf applications that we were just installing. I didn't have really direct interaction with the developers. And so for me, gaining a lot of those concepts was really invaluable. And so like in addition to cloud, I would say find a programming language for those that aren't programmers by, by trade. 
and and just really dig into that for like a use case, like I mentioned, of building out automating a public cloud. And for me, I think that's just a super invaluable skill set, especially in this climate where more and more companies are adopting public cloud and basically just needing to move faster and faster and faster. And then kind of to that DevSecOps point, um, one of the things that I've, I think is really critical, especially as you see the news more and more, is all of the breaches and all the ramifications of it. Like being able to, to put on that security hat, at least to some degree, I think is super important. Yeah, that's definitely spot on. And one thing I like to say as well, if you have an excuse on, you know, learning a new technology and you, you mentioned learning a programming language, you know, you're only one click away from YouTube and there's so many free training opportunities out there. I, I saw a free Kubernetes class out there that I signed up for. I, I have yet to log in and actually sit down to my, you know, and start going through it. <laughs> but th there are no excuses, you know, as far as, you know, coming up to speed and, and trying to learn. Uh, when it comes to elevating yourself and gaining those skills. But what programming language do you recommend? Because you mentioned learn a program language. Is that one that you recommend or one that you see that's kind of valuable right now or easier to to learn? Yeah. So the one I would actually recommend is Python. Um, I mean, there's a ton of resources out there. And if you look, you'll even see some for like learning Python for kids. I mean, it's it's pretty simple to at least grasp some of the basic concepts and the, the more and more you delve into it, you'll have a, a better understanding. And I think the other thing I would mention is there's a, a really great community in the IT space mm -hmm. where I know for me at times when I, I was early in my career, it was you don't know what you don't know. And, and sometimes it's just really helpful if whether like via Twitter or LinkedIn, whatever, maybe just reach out to somebody that you, you think is a little more seasoned, has a, a particular focus or a knowledge in the area you're desiring. And if nothing else, it's, hey, I'm, I'm looking to do this. Can you, you point me in the right direction? Because what tends to happen at times is you see all the stuff that's out there and you just get overwhelmed. Like, oh man, I need to learn Kubernetes and, and cloud yeah. and uh, configuration management. And like, what tends to happen is like, you get that analysis paralysis of like, I just so overwhelmed. I don't know where to go. Yeah. I, I see that a lot. And, you know, just having conversations, you know, online, you know, like on LinkedIn and, and Twitter, et cetera, I definitely have uh, friends and also cohorts that, you know, reach out to say, hey, what should I be learning? Just pick something, right? Pick, pick one thing, right? You, you, you see, you know, what's trending on, on, on Twitter right now, or you see what everyone's talking about on LinkedIn, you know, take that one thing, you know, like containers and, mm -hmm. you know, take it one step at a time. So, I really appreciate you, you know, sharing all of those details and, you know, making us a little smarter on, on Hydra and how Hydra is used internally here. Um, so I, I truly appreciate you coming on Pulling the Strings. Can you also please provide how our listeners can reach out to you on social media, maybe? Yeah. So I'm on uh, Twitter at Green Read Tech. So G-R-E-E-N-R-E-E-D-T-E-C-H. And then as well on LinkedIn at Martez Reed, and that's a, another great way to find me and connect. All right. Well, Martez, thank you so much for coming on Pulling the Strings podcast powered by Puppet. I really, really appreciate your time, and thank you so much. Until next time. Thanks for having me.